welcome to episode 20, 26 of Universe Extended, Planning Face Syndicate's discussion on all things Star Wars related. This is your point where you can opt out. You can opt out right now. Spoiler alert, heaven is ahead, or is it hell, depending on who you talk to. But spoiler alerts will abound, as tonight we are going to be covering Mando episode six and episode seven in our preamble to get to episode eight, which airs in three days right here on Disney plus. With that being said, let's bring in JJ, my co-host for this universe extended episode. How are you doing tonight? JJ. Great Scott. What a heck of the last two episodes it's been uh, for Mando, man. It was, uh, it was really good. I really enjoyed uh, the not last week's, but the two weeks ago's episode. That was a nice little uh, change up there uh, for the series. And then we had last week's episode, which is the preamble for the finale. And I cannot wait to see that on Wednesday there. Um, so we'll go uh, with the, uh, the first episode there. Uh, we get the, the continuation of the story here for uh for Bo-Katan essentially uh following her with Mando being essentially her psychic almost um they head over to a planet where the um where the remnants of her her old crew um who has a pretty large fleet from everything that they've stolen so far um is uh, essentially protecting this particular city here now the episode does start off with a uh, I believe the name of the race is Aqualish. Uh, they're uh, a ship carrying a um, a Mon Cal prince uh, who is looking to get married with an Aqualish uh, girl in there, and they get stopped by these Mandalorians uh, who are hired by the Mon Cal to essentially retrieve the prince back to the um, back to to their planet there. Now it's. Not given much significance on there, but historically, if you take a look at the relationship between the two races, these are two races that have always been almost at war with each other for as long as we've known them for the the Star Wars saga. Now, both of these races did come from Moncala. Um, they both they basically exist together, very similar to like the Gungans and the Naboos in their planet. Um, they're um, there are two species that occupy that planet and they've been at war with each other for as long as we know there. So it's kind of interesting to see a, a sort of like subplot of a, uh, a a pretty high dignitary, right? He's obviously a Mon Cal prince falling in love with the Aqualish uh, girl and, uh, and trying to like develop that only to be interrupted by the very polite Mandalorians that, uh, that asked them to, uh, surrender the prince so that way they could take him back. So they're working as a giant military force, and we can see that they know how to run that Arkitan's cruiser very, very well to um, to be very um, intimidating, to say the least. So we get a um, a look at them going into um, back to Bo-Katan and Mando going into this um, 
the city, uh, which looked exactly like one of the old Mandalorian domes, uh, where they, it, what we've seen from like Clone Wars and uh, partially in Rebels as well. Uh, but basically, it's like this whole automated tube system here, which reminded me exactly of what the um, what they referenced in the surface of Chila and the Thrawn books and the prequel books um, on how they run those automated tubes to make it look like there's activity on the surface. Um, it called back to that uh, for me when I was looking there. And then we run into the um, the rulers of that particular city. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Well, it was a little bit different, right? Like, it's different than what we'd seen before. Um, I guess it's it's nice to see other, right, like other systems you know like it's it's nice to see these uh, this other races other people it's nice to find you know like also where hey here we are we're with um you know we're with a whole different you know generation i guess or like different like outcome i guess that's a dumb way to put it but essentially it's nice to see a whole different society that we haven't seen before right we're not just freaking on tatooine or um I don't know. It seems like they love Tatooine. Like that's like their favorite. <laughs> that's their go-to planet. <laughs> um, so it was nice to see that. Um, I guess like it's a little different. You know, I don't. I a little confused why they feel they need to go that route a little bit, right? Like, could we? <clears throat> do we really need all of that? Right? Like, is it going to pay off? And so my first thought was, is any of this other story arc building going to pay off? Now, I will say, as soon as, you know, we see some of the other people on there, it gets very exciting, right? You know, like, there was some star cameos in this yes, episode that will knock your sauce, so sauce off, knock your socks off, um, hands down. Yeah, and so we... So the uh, the stars in particular uh, that we see here is uh, Lizzo uh, acting as the queen. And then we get Jack Black making an appearance as General Bombardier, which is the funniest name for a for an Imperial it's captain, Captain Bombardier. Oh, yeah, Captain Bombardier. Yeah, exactly. Which like the second that they said that name, I'm like, oh, man, this guy's going to die in an explosion just because <laughs> he has to. Um, and they're essentially. Um, the uh, specifically Captain Bombardier is a, a person who's gone through the um, the New Republic's uh, reprogramming, I want to call it, um, program where they basically take ex-Imperials uh, who, who have worked for the Empire and basically desensitize them to or deprogram them from the Empire's way of thinking to become a member of the New Republic Society. And now he is married to the princess of this particular world, and they together have uh, set up a a what they call a utopia for their citizens, where um, nobody needs to work. Everything is built on the backs of the droids that take care of all the work for the citizens, and they are all contained within that dome. Um, the everything is run by the people, you know, complete. Um, I, basically it's a socialist no utopia difference. yeah exactly um and they're having some droid problems they come to find out yes so to begin so all right so to begin with just being able to see lizzo and jack black show up it's like holy shit like that, that to me 
to me, that's the fun part of Mando, right? Like, like I get Andor is like super serious, blah, 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 blah. But to me, Mando, like it makes everything to see them. And I don't care what the naysayers say. Like, I really think a both of them are very good actors. Um, the way Lizzo just falls in love with Grogu is like, damn Perfect. it, we're saying Grogu now instead of Baby Yoda. That's sad. Um, but the way she just <laughs> falls in love with Grogu is like, holy crap. Like, you know, and, and it's and like you could tell Mando is like, oh, my God, like, is she going to like steal baby Grogu? Right. Is is he gone? Like, what's going to happen? Like every time she's like, don't worry. And he's in here like, I don't trust droids, but I don't trust them. I don't know who to trust. Um, but the best part about it is they're having a droid problem. And Din Djarin is ecstatic that there is a droid problem he gets to help take care of. Like, I don't think he even cares or thinks about that he's on some weird side mission. He just knows there's a droid problem. Droids are causing you issues. Hmm. All right. Here we go, baby. <laughs> like, he's all excited <laughs> to take care of this problem. And, like, his reactions to that were, like, the best um, for it. And I agree, like, Captain Bombardier, like, I really hope we get, like, an ex-Imperial pilot or something like that. Give me, give me, give me Captain Bombardier in a, in a scenario pack. Or maybe, maybe he'll show up in, in the new bomber set for X-Wing, right? Like, maybe we'll get lucky and get, uh, uh, oh, because he is decommissioned. Like, essentially, he's a decommissioned Imperial guy, right? Um, and I'll be honest with you, the first time when they said that, I honestly thought there was something nefarious being set up here. Like, I genuinely thought there was a nefarious thing that was going to happen. Um, yeah, me too. With him. And we find out, it, it obviously, at the end, it does not. But that was really what I... Because that's how they've been teasing this whole episode. But who else do we see? We see freaking Christopher Lloyd, right? He's the guy that reprogrammed all the droids for them. Or essentially instructed the people how to reprogram all the droids. He is the master in control for the droids. And so, of course, Din has to go, you know, they have to go find who it is. They have to start interviewing people. And, of course, he's the first person who says it. And you can just tell, like, he regretfully has to say, we're a social society. Like, you can just hear him. It's like listening to, like, a MAGA hat. That's what it felt like. You know, it's like <laughs> we have some guy that's so anti all of this. That's what it felt like when he was doing that. Um and yeah, Logan's Logan's run. Yeah, I can see how this is kind of a ripoff of, of some yeah. Logan's run. <laughs> that I can Definitely see some tropes, some similar tropes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so they move on right from there and they're doing, you know, investigation and they go to a droid bar. And I will tell you, I thought that was a little cheesy because I don't understand what is served at a droid bar. Because if you watch Futurama, what do they serve at a droid bar? Oil, right? Yeah, like, exactly. it, or and beer. <laughs> like, that's it like what is this droid bar doing other than maybe allowing droids to socialize i i don't know i, I what was your take on the droid bar? i i was a little confused by that i mean it's their place to uh to plug in into different ports and you know interchange information with other droids in a social setting between themselves just hope that they keep those ports clean just saying Ugh. <laughs> No, AJ. I was really hoping. So the best part about the droid bar actually was that we got to see a lot of droids that we've seen from all the different um, 
different parts of, of Star Wars, namely a lot of old Separatist droids. We see a lot of uh, Republic droids. We see uh, Rebel droids in there. We see some of the old uh, protocol droids for the Empire in there as well, a couple of astromechs. Um, so it's really cool to see all those droids from the various eras basically in one place in there, right? So that I did appreciate that part there. I can only imagine that on the background trying to operate and control all those droids how many technicians they must have had running in the background for that part there for uh for that shot there uh but essentially we find out that there is a particular uh type of i guess lubricant or oil i wasn't sure what exactly it was that uh that the malfunctioning droids had obtained there at the bar which was causing them to malfunction on there and i gotta say the scenes where they showed the the droids malfunctioning was actually quite hilarious particularly <laughs> the chef droid yes. with the four arms that decided to turn into a slasher film holy crap that was hilarious well and, and it makes you want that droid right like it's like yeah. why do we not have these droids in our society and why are they not in more star wars things yeah, except for exactly. oh i do i swear to god that chopper droid showed up was it maybe it was bad batch I'm trying to remember where we've seen that that droid before. It was in Book of Boba, definitely. That's, that's what. It, okay, that's what we see Din sneak up on inside of Jabba's palace. Yeah, that's right. But I was just like, and then that was that was hilarious. Like that piece of it was hilarious because yeah, you're just like all of them are just and like and here's Din just kind of walking around like hmm like and you can just hear him in his head just shaking his head be like this is what they get for allowing droids to do everything. I can hear it. Like yeah, exactly. Ugh. And. And then finally, he gets directed to the loading area where we have old uh, decommissioned battle droids doing basically yeah. manual labor. They're carrying <laughs> all this stuff. And yeah, that was a good idea. And then they're being directed by a B1 droid. That's yep. like banning all these lines. And Mando has some of the best like physical like comedy for that part because he's just kicking every single battle droid and it was very much like i robot with will smith when he's like basically like threatening all those a all those robots in line just to get the one that's gonna like react um it definitely felt like that but uh it was really comical to see uh the the all those b1s uh, back there in live action yeah like and i like how he's like i don't think you should be doing that yeah you should not be doing that and he like didn't just like what are you going to do about it? Like, what, what does it matter to you? Like, you know, like I, I do agree. That was hilarious. And like, but who thought that was a good idea to put battle droids to work? Who, who thought that was a good idea? What society was that? Like, Oh, we could just decommission these war tech weapons that mass murdered things. And, and, and their primary service. directive was to, to war. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, like, Oh my God, who thought that was a good idea? I don't know. Um, but that was a great clue in there, right? Because it makes you, it obviously, you know, the, the, uh, the biggest abundance of having all these separate destroyeds just running everything there, right? Or running all the, the hard labor points to somebody who's very, very familiar with the separatist, uh, with the separatist tech, which brings us back to Christopher Lloyd's character, the engineer who had programmed all of these, um, all of these droids from the beginning and was the mastermind behind uh, the nanomachines that were inside those lubricants causing all the malfunctions for all those droids. And just that speech that he gave, right, of how he basically hated that society and he felt that they that they had um, 
essentially felt that Count Dooku was right in his vision and the rent that he gave, you know, it was actually something that was unexpected from Christopher Lloyd and how he delivered that particular speech. Yeah, no. And I think that I, I really think that that's to me, this seems this episode really hit home in that aspect of we can still have fun, but you know, have a good show. Right. And I think I can't remember the lady's name, um, but she's related to the Howard. So it's probably Dallas Howard. That's her name, right? Yeah, Dallas Bryce Howard. Mm -hmm. Yep. She's the one that I think directed the majority of this episode. And you can definitely tell when she directs something versus like she has a little bit more of a comedy streak. I mean, I mean for Christ's sake, like her father was involved with arrested development. This was like a very yeah. arrested development um like episode, which is one of my favorite shows. Like I love that I love that series. But the the comical value of this just shows that Star Wars does not need to be serious 24-7. Like, yeah, I like Andor. Um, and people are used to Andor and that I think we're going to get that in episode eight. We get some of it in episode seven, which we'll get to in just a second. But, you know, like we will get that in episode eight. Like it's a guarantee we're going to get an Andor feel at the end of the show. Um, yeah. But obviously all of it wraps up where they figure it out. Oh, no, they figure it out. It's a stupid guy. It's Christopher Lloyd's character who's programmed them all, which how they didn't see that to begin with is beyond me. I mean, it seemed pretty evident based on how he reacted but i mean i guess you got to give everyone the benefit of the doubt in the in the new republic um but all of this leads up to them being able to impress the mandalorians that they hired to protect their city now here's where the weird thing is and maybe this is just me being nitpicky but like so they go back and then they have to confront the mandalorians if the mandalorians agree to leave which we'll talk about in a second but if the mandalorians agree to leave like what happens to that city, right? Like, why is that city all of a sudden going, oh, it's okay, go ahead and leave. I mean, we only spent millions of credits on keeping you here to protect us, not just from the droids, like protect us from everything else. But here, but we're going to get, if you can fix your droid problem, you get permission to leave. We don't care. Like, yeah. What happens? Like, I mean, I guess they could call the New Republic and become part New Republic. I mean, they hinted at that, right? Um, simple. The Mandalorians had 1099, so they can leave at their own <laughs> will. It's simple. File your taxes if you haven't. <laughs> so we move on, right? And, and and they they get the guy. Yeah, it's a whole handover. You can tell Grogu does not want to leave. I like Grogu loved Lizzo, Lizzo, and I don't know if they did that on yeah. purpose. To, to the point that he caught, he actually uh, used the force ability to cheat on her behalf on the game that they're yeah. playing. Like, the heck, Rogu? Golly, <laughs> they leave him alone for like half of an episode, and he's already involved in like a, like racketeering. I know, Jeez. like, and he's like he 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 would be like Jabba's little minion. He could be Jabba number exactly. two. There you go. <laughs> so finally, uh, we get to the the whole point of the quest which was Bo-Katan getting an audience with her former Mandalorian crew that she was running with and we get uh, one of the best themed Mandalorians there uh, golly forget uh, Wolf um, golly what's his last name Wolf Knight I believe is his name um, and he, he essentially um, dismisses 
uh, Bo-Katan's request to come join her uh, to retake Mandalore because she returned without the Darksaber. And we get one of the most controversial calls in the series so far where Din essentially uses um, a pathologic uh, saying that because he was defeated by, and he was captured by the enemy that we saw back in episode two, um, and then uh, she picked up the Darksaber to rescue him and defeat that enemy, that because of that, she won the Darksaber in combat and thus now is the rightful owner for the Darksaber and provides her with the Darksaber to give her a legitimate claim to the Darksaber. And this allows her to essentially uh, challenge the wolf in combat and uh, essentially help cement her leadership for the group there. Now, that being said, is is do you think that logic really holds up or is that just a point for Din to kind of circumvent the whole issue of legitimacy for Bo-Katan? To me, it feels like a writer's cop out. It okay, logically it makes sense. Yes, like with the dark saber, you lose it in he lost the dark saber in combat, even though he wasn't using it, was defeated by an enemy. She saved him with the dark saber. Therefore it's hers. I think on a bullshit scale, it makes sense. Right. And I think if we look at things in context of the star Wars universe, it makes sense. Is to me feels like very cheapy, cheap writing, I guess, um, personally. And I will tell you that we should have, found that answer out well before that episode like we should have also suggested that and I guess just by the fact that nobody was really suggesting that as the answer probably makes it legitimate and fair and something that we just need to accept um, and if you think about it in, an, in a western style story which is really what they're telling it makes that that makes sense right like it, it, it does fit into that style of writing that they have Personally, I feel it's lazy writing um, and none of it's going to, I don't know, maybe none of it's going to matter here in episode eight, but I don't know. It just, it, 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 it felt a little lazy. It pissed me off. We'll put it that way. I was not happy with that piece of it, but at the same token, if that's the worst thing that they've turned out so far, I mean, anything's better than like that, that point in time is better than the book of Boba Fett altogether. How about that? Like yeah. the writing is still a million times better for that piece than almost anything we saw in the book of Boba Fett. So, like, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. So finally, uh, we end with the uh, with the episode with Bo-Katan having the remainder of the fleet coming. Uh, <clears throat> with the remainder of the fleet coming to join her. And so that way they can go and take over uh, Mandalore. And now we come back to uh, episode 23, which is titled The Spies here. Now, this is the episode that's setting up for the finale here. We see the um, the rest of, uh, of Bo-Katan's group come in and uh, come over the planet Navarro. And we see uh, probably one of the best signs of the Architans underneath the giant. They painted a giant mythosaur uh, symbol underneath the Architans, just showing that they're in control so, of it. That was a really great visual effect to start off the episode there. Yeah, so I think that's amazing. Actually, that's really cool. 
like I don't know how who thought that how they did that or who what artists like put that all together, but that would that was really genius. But I want to back up just a second because I think we missed something at the end of episode six. They talk about where they're going to go, right? And Mando offers in that plot of land, um, at at, at Grief's compound area, essentially, yeah. right? The, the lava flats, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, he's offering them land, saying, "Hey, let's just go here. Let's we can we can now settle in the open. There's enough of us that we shouldn't be scared at all." And that's what that's what leads into episode seven, where you're saying, "Hey, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, these artisan or architect—I don't know how you say them—but these cruisers, yeah, yeah, like they're showing up, and there's like like at least three or four gauntlets, and there's a guy, at least one Gazi, if not two. Um, so this Gazantes. is what I saw. I saw two Gazantes, the Arkansas cruiser. We I saw four Sea Rock cruisers and at least three squadrons of Fang fighters in that fleet. This is a serious Mandalorian fleet. Now that's equipped with a capital ship that can back it up and a ton of fighters and support fighters to back up those ships in there. This is going to be a force to reckon with for sure. Yeah, and they also they fly in. They sit down, they land, they start going through things, and we get a cut scene. We go away, like right, because all of a sudden everybody's like, "Oh my god, grief!" Like all these people are coming, they're gonna kill us. And he's like, "Ah, no, see, there's a Mandalorian symbol. Ah, don't worry about it. It's a promise I made. I told nobody about. I told nobody about this promise. But by the way, I've offered them land to come protect us. Right? They're gonna come protect us, and they get some free land. And like nobody knows about this but me. But don't worry, I approve this. You know." Yeah, I wonder how uh, everybody seems... felt. I wonder how everybody felt when their "quote unquote" protectors picked up all their ships and decided to leave the planet. Well, I know, and that's <laughs> yeah. So we haven't even like like so they've done this twice now, right? And so now you're jumping ahead a little bit. So let's jump ahead a little bit. And so like they get into it, and now it's a discussion where they decide to internally they they the Mandalorians are all talking about. Well, let's go back to Mandalore. Well, wait, why the fuck did you just settle here? What what is wrong with you people? Like, why did you do this? Why are you all you picked up and moved from illogical location and camp, which we knew you had to do because you had to get away because the new republic knew could figure out where you were, right? Like, like that's a fact. We know that can happen. Blah, 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 blah. So we're gonna settle here in the lava flats. Oh, but hey, one one day or two days later, why don't we just decide we're gonna take back Mandalore because of, could you just have the conversation already? Like, <laughs> did you really have to move your whole fleet, spend all that fuel to do this, to turn around and do it again? <clears throat> now, they're yeah. going to be a little bit more careful about not moving everybody. Like, I don't think they're taking all of the whole no. fleet. Yeah, no, they specifically, uh, Bo-Katan, um, first off, we get the 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 reintroduction of the con- the cult, the convert, essentially, uh, meeting with Bo-Katan's crew and essentially the way that they took off their helmets, you know, you can see that the converts were completely offended at the fact that they did that, right? Because to them, that's not the way. And it's a combination of Bo-Katan trying to keep the peace and the armor coming out to be like, well, they're here. Let's welcome our our family and friends and we're going to throw a feast and eat together. Which when she said that, I'm like, okay, they said in previous episodes that in order to eat, you take your food and you walk away to your own places to be alone. Does that mean that you just left all your guests there and you're either going to sit there and watch them eat and you just stare at them because you can't eat because you would have to remove your helmet? Or does everybody just walk away, leaving the newbies, eat the food with nobody there to be there with them? It seems counterintuitive there at that point, right? 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it, it, it's like why? I don't. I don't. Um. So, so yes. So we see two side things. So we're, we're we we divert from that. So we should spend too much time on that because it is weird, and I don't. I don't know. I don't want to call that lazy writing, but like it is a little silly ish to, to have that happen. But then we get grief coming on board and he's like, Hey, I got something for you, Mando. man. I was like, eh. and he's like, no, seriously, come with me. And I don't know whether there's day or night ever in this city. Cause like all of a sudden it's a light out. It was close to night and now it's light out and Mando's in the city with Grogu. And guess who shows up? IG 11 or IG 12. Uh, now. Yes. We get the 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 body of IG twelve being driven by one of the the little Babu Frick aliens <laughs> coming in, uh, driving it like it's a giant mech vehicle for him, which was just awesome. I love that little aspect of it that they were able to do. That it makes me wonder why that race hasn't done that to every single droid that they could get their hands on in order to defend themselves from the larger species, right? Yes, and the best <laughs> part about that is he's in there like and this is the comic gold of that whole thing like he's in the suit he's in the suit and then he jumps out and he says something to grogu like basically like bad baby yeah, <laughs> when he's he like bad baby out. no huggy no yep. huggies and he's like ah that's you know obviously that's the throwback to what episode three or whatever um yeah. but it's just hilarious because it's just like yeah these little tiny mechanics which i really hope we get more in x-wing like give me some generic babu frick mechanic mechanics yeah. like just give me give me give me a few give me give me something i could throw inside oh give me something i could put in my separatist ships that repair a droid oh Ugh, gosh no. i love that Heck. um <laughs> but anyway so so mando's like no i say no and grogu's like rah, 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 rah. and he's like i said no rah, rah, rah. and then he then grief's like just let him try it it's been hurt just let him run around the office and literally within like 30 seconds grogu gets the hang of it and oh oh guess what the mechanics did it, they didn't give a full speech capability. They just gave a yes, no, but. And you know what the th first thing I thought of? Have you ever seen those TikToks or Facebook reels where they have the dog, the huskies yes. that have like the buttons and they hit the buttons. And like, I never know whether these are fake or real, right? I, I genuinely never <laughs> understand. But all I can fucking say is that Grogu is now telling Mando no or yes with a stupid button. Like nobody can figure out how do we just rig it up so that the child could talk to you. The engineers are like, one more thing to fuck with you, Mando. We know you hate yeah. droids. Now you really are gonna hate this droid because as a baby inside that's telling you yes and no. I guess he's not a baby, he's probably like a hundred years old, but yeah, and now Mando's like, Oh my god, I haven't childproofed anything because the very next thing what happens is that they're walking through the market and Grogu uses his newfound abilities to reach things he couldn't reach before and just start eating them whenever he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. And oh, what's the nod? What's the nod to the, the rebel show? What is what type of fruit does he grab? The Melu runs. Yes, yes, that is Hera's favorite fruit and as soon as he picked it up i was like that's a melee run oh my god that was so great just seeing that just hope that they take some of them with them so that way when they meet hera she's gonna have something to eat <laughs> um so that's really enough of that then we got to transition to um the, the meat the yeah the, the new empire right you know the 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 beginning of the first order and there's the so they basically have a scene where we all of a sudden have um, what's his name? Oh, God, I can't remember the guy. The actor's name. 
Yeah, I know Moff Gideon. What's the actor's oh, name? Uh, uh, Luis Esposito. There you go. Where we have Louise, and essentially, like, he's got the devilish face, right? He's still smiling. He still looks like he's innocent, but he's like, oh, I'm just going to mess with you. It's like a daytime soap opera face. That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> like, he just reminds me of, like, a daytime soap opera face. You know, like, I'm going to pretend I'm a good guy, but I'm not. And I'm going to talk to you like this. And he just all, I, I know he's in a million things, but, like, it always brings back the um, aspect of the community episode. Um, I don't yes. know if you ever watched Community, but he basically, yeah. like, him and Chevy Chase are like brothers and blah, blah, blah. And he sets up this video game to win uh, his dad's estate. And, and it's just like this whole evil video game episode. If you haven't seen it, it is literally the best community episode ever. I actually have a t-shirt with the little characters from community um, as the eight bit characters on it. Um, anyway, so, you know, so we start off where he walks into a console. And at first he's, well, well, okay, let's back up. The first thing it is, we find out that him and whoever that lady's name is from um, Cor Coruscant, right? Yeah. We find out that she officially is working for Gideon, 100%. And we also find out that essentially she is um, in leagues with him, knew that Gideon somehow existed and has been plotting along this whole time. And has to tell him, by the way, the Mandalorians have all secured themselves. And you're like, why? Why does she care? But it's a whole thing. So, like, we'll find out in a minute why there's a reason. And she tells him they're all going back to Mandalore, which this was a, when I found out why they what was at Mandalore. I actually was genuinely surprised. I did not know that and did not expect that. And I'm not going to tip off what it is real quick. But anyway, so Gideon doesn't care. I'll take care of it like I always do. Blah, 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 blah. Then Gideon walks into this whole meeting where you have all these hollow projectors and we see all sorts of crazy stuff that we never thought we'd see. And they have a whole conversation about bringing back Thrawn. Yes. The, the promised villain that we've been expecting for quite some time since his first name mentioned in season two. Now in this cast of, uh, of, of, admirals uh we do see admiral paleon uh which we last saw him as part of the uh, seventh fleet um in thrawn's fleet um at the end of rebels and his uh his fleet was uh suspiciously absent now here's the interesting part right um he's there also with uh with brandon hux uh who is general hux's father from the first order that we see on there now um the, the interesting part is that at the end of Rebels, uh, Paleon was there above Lothal when the when the um, the hyperspace uh, Corgals, uh, Corgals, <laughs> uh, the hyperspace beast anyway, came in and basically moved the fleet out of the blockade position on there. So it makes me wonder how he was able to return and Thrawn hasn't returned yet. Like what was the difference there, I wonder? Yeah, and I think that's that's where we, we don't know yet 100%. And if you if you listen to how the dynamics are going, right? I can't remember who the other admiral is, but the Hux character and that other admiral are looking at each other and talking to each other. Paleon, um, yeah, it was Paleon yeah. and Hux. Yeah. It makes you think Paleon never left, right? That he yes, exactly. was in hiding early on. Like he was a contingency plan that we just didn't know was a contingency plan. Right. Um, 
which I will be honest is a little, it, it's a little different. It, it's not a, um, I, I don't think that's a Palpatine ish thing. I think Palpatine creates contingency plans for himself um, and a little bit for the remnant, but I don't think, I think if Palpatine had a very strong contingency plan and maybe this is the backstory to defining that, but we never got that just before um, with the sequel movies and, and, and anything really that Palpatine had some huge master um, comeback plan. But this kind of reveals that there has to have been some sort of a contingency plan. There had to have been um, something in the works uh, because otherwise, otherwise they would not be this, this well organized um, uh, for the remnants. Right. And it almost makes me feel like those two do not like Gideon at all because yeah. they look at each other to give approval when Gideon asks for more uh, right. resources yeah. exactly, for his plan yeah. to stop the Mandalorians. And they talk about cloning, right? And essentially we know Moth Gideon is involved in cloning, but he denies it to them. Like it's weird. And it's weird that none of those fuckers know, like how did none of them know that Gideon's involved in, I, I, I don't understand that. Like there's uh, somehow those people are missing some sort of a link, but he denies it. And like, everybody's just like, like, okay, well, yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. But so it's like, it's, you... it's pretty interesting, right? Because it makes it seem like the rest of those Ambrose are following project necromancer, which we know that this is uh, most likely yeah. linked to the return of Palpatine. And as far as they know, Gideon is most likely in, um, uh, entrusted with Project War Mantle, uh, which we hear it during Rogue One as uh, one of the list of different operations that the Empire was starting to work on. And in Legends, Operational War Mantle was for the creation of the Dark Troopers that, um, that eventually became part of the Special Forces for the Empire. And we know, based on uh, Season 2 for Mandalorian, that those he he walks through still a a bunch of those um those dark troopers which have newer armor which we we'll get to that in a bit um as he's walking into that so it seems like he was running two different projects at the same time uh, one of them being hidden from the rest of the the admirals that are working on project necromancer yeah and and it kind of brings back the rivalry between Thrawn and um Krennic. and Krennic with the Defender slash you know the Death Star right Death you know Star. like mm -hmm. and and it would not surprise me if Palpatine had put other irons in the fire to 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 argue with each other right like it, it, that does not surprise me one bit um but anyway so. <sighs> So they, they have a whole discussion. It's a whole thing. Gideon says, I'm basically being going. They're going to try to murder me. You need to fucking give me money so I don't die. Do it now. Y'all cloning bastards. You have the money. <laughs> it's like a whole thing. And um, he specifically requests Praetorian guards to come yes. in and assist them for it. Which is weird, right? Because, I mean, I didn't know they existed then. We know they exist with Snoke, right? Like, we know that. Um, and I didn't know there was any of them left and, and they haven't really gone into, I don't think that like in legends, they talk about how they're trained and things like that, but I don't think in Canon we've ever had that taste. Have we actually, 
Actually, I think we've seen at least the precursor to the Praetorians, right? So the first instance that we see them is in Rebels, actually, when um, when Ezra is taken before um, into Thrawn's Star Destroyer, um, and he essentially gets tempted by Palpatine to reopen the portal. Um, when he destroys the portal, he has Red Guards come out and essentially tries to take out Ezra and Ezra manages to overcome them. I think that is the very first instance that we see of the Praetorian Guards, or at least the precursor of the Praetorian Guards, um, in canon, and now that leads to where they are now here. Um, also in Return of the Jedi, when Luke is brought to uh, before Palpatine with Vader, um, I believe they're actually standing guard, although they're wearing much longer robes and they have a staff, um, but they're basically guarding that uh, elevator entrance and they're dismissed by the Emperor to go away once uh, Luke is brought before him uh, with Vader present there. Um, so more than likely, they have been in there. They just may have had an update for it. Um, but it makes me wonder, what the hell were they doing <laughs> after <Yeah>. Palpatine <laughs> died? Like, uh, well, I mean, I guess we got to have a job somewhere. We got to just <laughs> just going to hang out here until we need to protect somebody. Yeah, I, I think that they they were moved and they they're protecting other higher up people. Right. Like that, that's the, that's got to be the theory. Like, I don't know what else yeah. it would be. I mean, I guess it's probably inconsequ uh, inconsequential at that point, but. um. So then, I mean, there's again, there's so much, so much to go through, but th like that to me, that's actually the crux of a lot of the episode. And I will be honest with you. The, the, the thing I do not like is I know what Thrawn should be in the books. And it feels like we're getting a pushback to the old Thrawn. Uh, from extended and i don't like it i do not like that at all but we will see i will i will not hold out and be upset until the end of ahsoka but i will warn you there's a possibility of some incoming rants when we hit ahsoka time because like <laughs> that like thrawn is my absolute favorite character and after timothy zahn made him better it's going to be really hard to go back um yeah to it. I, I just I'm going to withhold judgment until I see everything. And, and that would include the Filoni uh, movie that's coming out, which will include Thrawn. I think that that will help solidify my thoughts on it. But, so I'll hold, I'll hold judgment until then. Yeah. So. so now we got to move forward in time because otherwise we'll be here for all night. And yeah. we move forward in time and essentially there's tension. Um, there's tension between the two different Mandalorian tribes um and they decide they're all going back to mandalore to scout it because essentially they've determined we could scout this but we don't know what it is but we need to clean cleanse it and that's why we have moth gideon all freaked out for whatever reason which we find out in like five minutes what it is but so they end up going back to mandalore and they find that they are not the only people there there is a remnant group of mandalorians <laughs> that are somehow still alive on Mandalore. So they immediately rescue the ones that they have to rescue within one day, make a determination that they're going to use them to keep the, like the few of them that can keep going to keep going. And Oh, by the way, we also find out they happen to know where the eternal fl source flame is, right? Like they know. And like all of a sudden we would go from like having to have a whole episode where they investigate where it is. to so somebody goes, Hey, I know where that is. I can show you. And you're like, Oh fuck me! Like, <laughs> all right, sure, it, let's it go. It always helps have local help, right? Exactly. But uh, crucially, at this point, we have 
the armor offering to take the injured that they are carrying around up to their fleet so that way they can receive medical attention. And she takes Bo-Katan's gauntlet to, uh, to space to meet the Mandalorian fleet. Um, but crucially, we don't see her get into the, into the ships. We just see her have a view of the ships while she's going up there. Um, meanwhile, we go back to the ground. Um, we see Grogu in his uh, his IG suit basically stop a fight between uh, the leader uh, Wolf and uh, Paz Vizsla um, in a fight over chess. Um, they should have seen our chess series, and um, <laughs> basically become that that peacekeeper um, in there. And it's it's really interesting to see the influences of the Jedi in Grogu and using his ability to. Uh, to disseminate the fights there, right? Even more so than Bo-Katan, right? Because Bo-Katan is watching this develop. She basically knows what's going to happen, and she lets it happen, or as Grogu goes in and stops it without having to use force or uh, or even words to stop, uh, which is really interesting. Right after that, we get the emergence of, most likely I will call it Space Star Wars Godzilla, uh, to come in and basically blow up the uh, or disrupt the entire area, forcing the Mandalorians to flee into a nearby cave where the furnace is essentially what they're looking for. And as soon as they get in there and they get their bearings, we get the appearance of Imperial Super Commandos, which is what we were expecting to see uh, the whole time for it. And we get this great shootout. What were your thoughts on that? So the first question I have is, are those Imperial Super Commandos droids like the Dark Troopers? No. Or no? Okay, so they are no. real humans. Most likely they're remnants of Clan Saxon, uh, which is what we saw in the Season 4 of Rebels. Yeah. So it's, it's hilarious because we get a scene where Gideon walks through this like open area and there's all these Super Commandos just standing here at attention. And all these like lights go off and it's almost like they have them frozen in time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's what they were going for or not, but yeah. So all of a sudden we, we get the Mandos getting in there. Basically they get ambushed. They feel they're ambushed. They're freaking out. They don't know what to do. Um, and I feel that, I feel that that was a pretty amazing sequence of things of all the shooting. Like I really enjoyed, um, the usage of the super commandos. It was definitely showing that they are bigger and better than what you would have thought normally. Um, and they're still pretty poor at shooting, even though they're super commandos, they're still pretty poor at shooting. They still miss quite a bit. It's um, they can only change one focus into a hitman. That's why. <laughs> well, that's very true. <laughs> um, in this, so I was a little, I'm a little, I, I understand why they do that. Um, why because you, you just can't have like 50 super commandos come out and murder like a group of 20, like you just can't have that. That would just like you. you it doesn't make for a very good story, but they are pretty comically bad shooters for being command Mandalorians, you know, and yeah. maybe it's because they were frozen in time, but I love the action sequences where everybody starts getting flushed out and they are essentially like Paz Vizsla and his chain chain gun is just like, Oh my God, that's like fallout Four, like babies. Yes. Like that is just like, Ooh, I love it. And yeah. he is such a badass. Just, mm. 
I particularly like the scenes with Din and Bo-Katan fighting in that melee because they understand that they are wearing Beskar, so they obviously target the soft spots. So there's parts where they particularly target underneath the neck or under the arms um, or like at the, the hip joints to disable and take out their, their attackers, and they're very surgical about it. I appreciated that part, whereas the Super Commandos were just taking you know, wide shots at anything that they could. And it was bouncing off of the armor plates, you know, the best car armor plates. Um, so I think that that lack of training was the difference there between the two. And you could see it physically. Right. So the the Mandalorian group um, easily uh, pushes back against the Super Commandos and the Super Commando starts retreating and Bogotan orders the assault to move forward and track them down. Um, they move forward and forward until they find themselves inside of a dock and that's where the trap is sprung. They're caught between a, a, uh, a ray shield and a closed hangar bay. Uh, with Din Djarin standing in the center uh, or standing on the other side of the ray shield while the rest of the Mandalorians are caught behind the ray shield, helpless to see to help him until we see the appearance of a black Mandalorian armored uh, uh, foe, and it is Moff Gideon in full Beskar decked out with helmet and all, and he makes his appearance. Yeah, which... They make him look like a Vader. Like, you yes. know, he, he does not look like a Mandalorian now. He looks like Vader. Like, somebody was like, here, how do we make Moth Gideon into Vader? Which, if we get Moth Gideon with Vader abilities in um, freaking X-Wing, I, I quit. Like, I'm not going to play that. Like, <laughs> not going to play against that shit. Um, so, so, going on that, right? Because I, I absolutely agree with you. He did look a lot like Vader. So, is it possible that his cloning... Um, his purpose for cloning is to clone himself with the midichlorian counts of other fallen Jedi to give himself force powers that way. It, but if he clones himself, he's not himself. Right. But he's it's not the same. Creating a copy. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because we get a good speech from him after he captures Din, um, essentially saying that he he recognizes what every civilization has to offer and he tries to take the best of all of them in order to capture their abilities for it. He makes references to the Jedi. He makes a reference to the rebel, the rebellion. He makes a reference for the Mandalorians. And it just seems to me that he wants to unify them all in a single for a single purpose. And that's the only logical explanation to me. I no, I don't agree with that. I do not think that he <clears throat> cloned himself. And I, and I say that because if we look at if we look at Palp, right? The reason Palp clones himself is because he's transferring his consciousness from one person to another. Like it's it's a Sith thing. I don't foresee Moth cloning himself because he wants to make himself better when in reality he won't be himself. I don't I don't see that. Um, I don't see that. I think I feel that's a, that's too big of a stretch. I do think his speech relates more to how does he clone and create the ultimate warrior, right? Or the ultimate being, or is he creating and taking all of this and feeding it into Pelp, right? Like, how do I make Pelp a better version of himself than he was before? 
Um, that's more what I got out of it. I can't imagine he's cloned himself. I I don't. Maybe he does that, but that seems a little off there for this series. That that seems a little out there. Um. Okay. Now, does it mean he doesn't want to try to make himself better? Um, and maybe he's found a way to inject himself with midichlorians, right? Or inject himself with whatever they're now going to call the ability to have the four, the force. Cause I don't think they're using midichlorians anymore. Are they? I don't know. They have, they, they've early in the Mandalorian when they were referring to, uh, Grogu's blood was his M count. Okay. And the last time they used that term was phantom menace. So I think that's, that's what, that's what makes sense at least. Yeah. So my, my theory would be more or less that he is, they are making it, he's trying to imbibe himself with different things. So I consider it more like a resident evil type thing. Like here, give me a virus and make me a little bit better. <laughs> and maybe I was just playing too much resident evil. Star, but, Star Wars nemesis. Right. Yeah. Well, we, we did talk about that. And there was a, there was a book, a book series on That's right. um, zombie, <laughs> zombie like ones. But anyway, that'd be more of my theory. Um, so obviously they hold a fight, you know, all of a sudden they capture them all. They drag Din out, say, give me Din, capture him, lock everybody away. And basically now we don't know what's going to happen to Din. And I don't know why they didn't just kill him right there. So there has to be an overall reason that we're going to see next episode, why they didn't kill him. But essentially he tells Bo-Katan just to go to get everybody out and get to safety. And you can see Grogu's freaking out, not knowing what to do. And Bo-Katan gets pissed off, decides to go cut a hole in the back one. And then Gideon's like, shit, I never thought about that. She's got the dark saber and could cut a hole. So we're just going to start shooting the glass. Like, come on. Like, that, that was dumb. Um, but then Pans Vizsla says, let me handle it. There's too many of them, but I can at least stop them so you can get away. And then what do we get? Paz Vizsla stepping up and literally wiping out almost all of the super commandos present. Like you got to be effing kidding me after, especially after he says, I can't take them all, but I can at least hold them up. But <coughs> next thing you know, he has downed every single super commando period. Like hells. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. he's not the, he, he he's realized that you either live long enough to become a villain or die a hero. He has realized he needs to die to be a hero. And then I think he didn't realize he was going to kill all them and didn't know what to do. And we see his true weakness is that the guards kill him because he's too slow. <laughs> like yes. I killed everything else, but I'm too slow to move to avoid getting stabbed to death. Yeah. And that we see the Praetorian guard come out and expertly, uh, expertly dispatch him uh, by using their, uh, their, I guess I would call them like vibro braids, I guess, and uh, and basically cut them down. But that was probably one of the best scenes of self sacrifice that we've seen in Star Wars. You know, for for Paz Vizsla, like it it was just it was a a, a good scene. To, you know, to see the way how he went out, it was a it was a great scene. Yeah, and here's the whole reason, though, is because Gideon has taken over Mandalore as a production facility. So there you go. That is the ultimate reason that we avoided talking about this whole episode is because 
The reason nobody wants them back is because there's a whole facility with tie intercept. Like, do you see those tie interceptors just hanging there? Like, you know they're coming out next episode in a fight. You know, and and oh, do we get super commandos and tie interceptors? Is that what we're gonna get? What we do know is that he does order at the end of the episode to launch all the TIE bombers and TIE interceptors to go attack the Mandalorian fleet. So we will, at minimum, have a big space battle above the skies of Mandalore for this next episode. And I cannot wait to see the Mandalorian fleet in action versus a a swarm of interceptors. It's going to be fantastic. It just feels like those TIE bombers are just going to die to those fang fighters like maybe it's because fang fighters roll you know four dice at range one and get a green <laughs> evade for free but it just kind of feels like a fang fighter is going to fly up to the side bomber and be like peace buddy and you could drop a bomb all you want it ain't gonna matter like you're gone like, I, I expect a couple of seismic charges to go off i expect proton bombs to be present um i want one pilot to say concordia as he's fighting somebody <laughs> um uh, I, yeah i i want the full works, the full gamut. I expect this to be the best space battle that we've seen in a Star Wars TV show to date. This has got to be the best, right? It should be, but we don't know. I don't know. It depends on how I haven't heard how long the last episode is. Yeah. So if it's only 30 minutes, I mean, they seem to be pretty consistent. It will be a little sad because they're going to have to fit a space battle, rescuing Din or killing Din, depending on which way they go with it. Um, or maybe or, they keep them for the next season. I mean, it could be a whole thing. As <clears throat> as I believe they said, this is the last season of Mandalorian, and everything will be resolved in the movie by Dave and Loning. So, no, I thought they said season, they were working on season four already. Okay, all right. I haven't heard that as of yet, but we could perhaps see Din in, during the Ahsoka uh, series um but yeah it is definitely heading to a very big finale and i cannot wait to see how they resolve this and while predictions now for the final episode um do we see thrawn show up in a tie phantom see who show up in a tie phantom thrawn and no i hope not (laughs) that'll be a hell of a return it would be it would be nice to see Thrawn's return in this. Yes. Um do we see Ezra in an E-wing? N- no. We don't see any of those in this in the Mandalorian. You're not getting any of that, buddy. You're going to you might get to see Thrawn come back, but you're not seeing anything else. So, okay, cool. I, there's no way they're going to they're they're not going to give us a 5-month spoiler event. No way. Now just real quick, um, the executive producer and director, um, Rick, I can't pronounce his last name, Fam Yuani, yeah, at, at Celebration, discussed the prospect of season four already starting. Okay, good. Yep, within twenty. So, and he's the one that directed the final two episodes of season three. Okay. Good. Actually, weirdly enough. So he says, I mean, look, I didn't I don't think it's a secret that Favreau is excited that about continuing telling the story. He's written season four. I don't know. I I don't know. I'd be shocked if they just stopped making them at this point. But yeah, I think that 
that just shows show comes together in the process, blah, 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 pre-production process. And now exactly when it goes to lens and starts shooting, but I don't know that for sure. So he's indicating that they've already written. I, I don't think he was supposed to say that is my guess, but he's indicating that it's been written and they're waiting on approval or starting. So, okay. So yes, I don't think season four I think that happens before the movie. That's my theory. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, all right. Well, I don't know what we're going to do because JJ is supposed to be off on Sunday, but I'm going, we are going to, I'm not going to miss episode eight. So we are going to have to cast it sometime. Yeah. Uh, it'll be Wednesday night or Thursday night. Um, my nickel city or my league game is Thursday night on Greg's stream. So we might just do it afterwards. Um, or we might do it Wednesday night. Most we don't know. Probably Wednesday night. We'll see. We'll, 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 we'll work it out. We'll work it out. But we will be doing our universe extended episode 27 of Bando guaranteed before sunday I, I otherwise jj's out of luck i'll find so, I'll, I'll find somebody else to talk with about it because i'm not gonna not have this conversation because, and i don't even know I, do, I just don't know if i can even wait till sunday um because if everything is true this is going to be one of the biggest finales that we've had with the biggest cliffhanger ever so yeah absolutely well all right well thank you all for joining us have a good night and we will see you next week Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern. If you want to join our normal Planny Face Syndicate podcast, if you just like our Universe Extended stuff, we will be back Wednesday or Thursday um, live on Twitch to talk about episode eight of season three of The Mandalorian. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs>